Good morning. Uh, so good to be before you once again. I, last year, about this time, actually it was a little bit later, I had an opportunity to uh, preach, and uh, I finished my, my sermon pretty quickly. Do you remember that? It was like uh, 20, 25 minutes. So I have credit from last time I could carry over to today. So, you know, I, I think we're good for about an hour and a half. What do you guys think? We're, we're ready to go. Okay. All right. Do we have anything yet? I need to lift this up a little bit. Oh, yes, I do. That's the problem. Okay. Let's lift this up. How's that? Is that a little better? Okay, very good. Well, we'll make it work. If I'm not loud enough, just wave your arms like that to me, and and I'll just think you're being really charismatic. And and then I'll I'll try to speak a little bit louder. Okay, well, um, I'm real excited about the word this morning when when I was praying about, Lord, what would you have me to speak on? Uh, It was almost immediately God laid this on my heart. Uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible, turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk is found, of course, in the Old Testament, and it's nestled between the books of Nahum and the book of Zephaniah. We're going to be looking at Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Yes, this is a wonderful section of the Bible. It's kind of neglected. It's, uh, it's called the Minor Prophets. And it's kind of a sad uh, name for them because uh, we kind of relegate them sometimes to a minor status. We think, uh, it's not really important. But they're only minor because of their length, their size. Back it itself is only three chapters. But inside these three chapters is such a richness. Such a beauty, and I believe a timely message for me and my life and for you and for the church and our world. So much is packed in here. Habakkuk is one of my favorite books of the Bible. The book of Habakkuk was written during a very pivotal pivotal time in Israel's history. The books of Jeremiah, Daniel, Nahum, Zephaniah, and Ezekiel are all written overlapping this period of history. Let's set the stage for this book. Um, Josiah was the king of Judah, and he was a godly king, and he had just recently died when Habakkuk pens this book. He died in battle with an Egyptian pharaoh named Necho. His son, Jehoiakim, now sits on the throne. For 30 years, Josiah had led the nation back to the Lord, discovering the law. Once again, a priest literally found it, tucked away somewhere, the Torah, and they pulled it out and and read it to the Josiah. They had forgotten God's word. And when he heard God's word, he tore his robes and he led the nation away from the idolatry and he cleaned up that nation and the nation renewed their covenant to God. Second Kings 23-25 says this about Josiah, and before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might. According to all the law of Moses, 
nor did any like him arise after him. Josiah was a righteous king. The Lord had already brought judgment, if you remember, to the northern kingdom of Israel over 100 years before this. Now Jehoiakim, like his father, fathers before him, had returned the nation to idolatry and wickedness. Jeremiah describes Jehoiakim this way. He says this, But your eyes and your heart are intent only upon your own dishonest gain and only on shedding innocent blood and on practicing oppression and extortion. The Lord had brought prophet after prophet, given much time and warning the nation that judgment would come if they did not repent. It's good to remember God's faithfulness, God's mercy. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Psalm 103, 8 says this, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. The Lord had been so kind and gracious to the wicked and rebellious nation of Judah. Yet they would not repent. And now Judah finally comes to the eve of its judgment. Just a few short years into Jehoiakim's reign, he had completely led the nation into idolatry, bringing them on the brink of famine, destroyed the economy, and evil had become the norm. That is our introduction. That is our context that is so important to understand when Habakkuk is writing these first five verses. So important to know what is happening around him. Let's pray and then we'll read. Lord Jesus, as we look around us and we see this world that we are living in is a fallen and broken world. Lord, we are so encouraged by your mercy in your grace. Lord, we can each look and testify before the congregation what you have done in our lives, how you've transformed us, given us a hope. You've given us a future. Lord, we are so grateful for that. I pray that we would come to your word this morning with hearts that yearn for your presence, that yearn for your intimacy. Lord, that you would restore us to hope and joy even in very, very difficult circumstances. God, give us the grace to receive your word. Prepare our hearts now to come into your presence. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'll be reading from uh, the New International Standard Bible this morning. Let's look at Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let's read. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long will I call for help and thou wilt not hear? I cry out to thee, violence, yet 
thou dost not save? Why dost thou make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Look, among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder. Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. This morning we're going to look at three principles from Habakkuk. Three principles that are here in these verses. The first principle is the person. The second is the perspective. And the third is the prescription. Um, I, I might be a little uh, revealing a little of my background here. I used to be a pharmacy technician. So um, I, I used to be a pharmacy technician, pharmacy tech. Now I'm a farm tech. So uh, I, I still have a little bit of that uh, pharmacy in me. So, okay, let's look at the first uh, principle that we see here. The first principle is the person, the person. Not much is known about Habakkuk. His description of himself was simply a prophet. It is very possible that he was a priest. And a part of Habakkuk is written to be sung as a psalm. His name in Hebrew, this is really, I think, interesting, means to wrestle or to embrace. In the beginning of the book, Habakkuk wrestles with God. At the end of the book, Habakkuk embraces God. It's a beautiful picture of a name. A prophet is a very simple description, but it is very appropriate. Habakkuk knew it wasn't about him. It was about the message. It was about God's word. Matthew 23, 12 says this, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. It's a common theme in the Bible of God choosing the meek and the humble to display his glory. Just look at Moses, for example, Gideon, David, Amos. Amos is just described as a shepherd. And the list even goes on and on. God will never raise to usefulness those who are proud. God will never raise the usefulness those who are proud. That is the person of Habakkuk, a humble man who wrestles with and embraces the Lord. Now let's look at our second principle. Our second principle can be found in verses 2 through 4. We're looking at the perspective, the perspective. Habakkuk in addressing God, says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and thou wilt not hear? I cry to thee, violence, yet thou dost not save. You see, you're looking at Habakkuk, and he's crying out for help. He's calling out for God for help. The word call here in these verses right there, you may want to underline that in your Bible. The word call there means to shout. It means to shout to God. And then the word 
cry in that verse. I cry out to thee is actually the Hebrew word to scream. To scream. Habakkuk shouted. He screamed to the Lord. And notice, notice he says, how long, O God? How long? You see, this wasn't just a one-time effort. We see in, in the Bible that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This is a man who's been fervently praying God, calling out to him, help, help us, we need your help. Where are you, God? We need you to come save us. You will not save like Job in, in, in chapter 19, verse 17, Job is in the same position. Job shouts to the Lord. He says, I call for help, but there is no justice. You see, Habakkuk and Job had the same problem. They didn't have God's perspective. They had to see things from God's perspective. You see, Job wasn't aware of chapter one and two of Job. He didn't know all that transpired in heaven. He didn't see God's plan. He didn't know how to make sense of all the suffering and pain he was going through. He couldn't see God's plan. He did not have God's perspective. If we are honest this morning, we can look back in our lives at times when we have not had God's perspective, when we have gone through trials and tribulations, when we have suffered directly ourselves, we have seen suffering in our families, in our own lives. We've gone through tribulations and trials and we have not had God's perspective. We say, God, why is this happening? We are not alone in this. So many in the word of God I've come to the Lord with the same heart, the same desire. Lord, what are you doing? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do you not act when there are those who call evil good and good evil? Perhaps you've even felt the anguish of the soul you might even be wrestling with God right now. Many of you know about the, the trials and the struggles that our family has been going through these last few years. The anguish of the soul that we have felt of betrayal and hurt and pain. It's been incredibly difficult. And throughout, we have cried out to God, Why? Why is this happening, God? We felt the hurt and the pain. We don't see, we don't see God's glory in this yet. I know it's there, but I don't see God's plan in full. I don't see how God is unfolding his glory. And we know that God does this. We know this because it says in his word, it says God causes all things to work together for good. God is taking 
your persecution, your hurt, your pain. And he wants to be glorified in it. He wants to be honored. We have to be reminded too that this world is not the world that God had created. This is a fallen world. This is a world that sin is corrupted and twisted. It was our sin that caused this world to fall. It was for our sin that we have created this world that that is messed up, is sinful, is broken. Jesus himself gave us a ransom on the cross. In the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, it says this, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. You see, we, we're part of the problem. This world is broken. But there's hope here from Habakkuk this morning. And the hope is that God knows our hurt. He knows our pain. He has regarded our helpless estate. The solution is the cross. The solution is the cross. The solution to our hurt, to our brokenness. Habakkuk asked why. He asked for a long, long time. Alistair Begg puts it this way. God's delays don't always equal denial. God's delays don't always equal denial. God's delays in answering our prayers, in answering our call, are designed to make us more like Christ. You see, his delays are a mercy. God's delays are a mercy. Think about that. The Lord uses trials, tribulations, suffering, grief, even our sin and injustice in the world to mold us and to shape us into his image. You see, we need a new perspective. We need to have God's perspective. This principle of perspective continues in verses 3 through 4. Turn or look and let's read. Habakkuk says, Why dost thou make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Can we look around at our society right now? <laughs> Can we see strife? Can we see contention? How about, I don't think we have to look very far to see that justice is being ignored, not being upheld, the law is not being upheld. 
and the wicked seem to surround the righteous. I want to point to this point here that the law is being not is being ignored. There you see it there in verse four. Therefore, the law is ignored. The word law there, if you want to, maybe you should highlight this, is the word Torah. This is not just, you know, civil laws that the king has made. This is the Torah. Habakkuk is saying God's word is being ignored. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. God's word is being ignored. You know, we can see um, the consequences of God's word being ignored in our nation, can't we? There are natural consequences that come out when a people ignore God's word. We're seeing the brokenness of the American family. We're seeing suicide at record high. We're seeing drug overdoses at record highs. God's word has been ignored. And the country that we are in now is facing the natural consequences. Even in our own lives, if we ignore God's word in our own lives, we too will suffer the natural consequences for doing that. Chaos, hurt, and pain. John Adams put it this way, our second president. He said, our constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other. He knew that our nation was founded on the principle of God's word. So we see justice is perverted. We see it cannot be held up. When you twist justice, the Hebrew word there for pervert is, means it's twisted. You're twisting justice. And when you twist justice, it is the weak, it is the lowly, it is the humble that suffer. You see, Habakkuk was crying out to God. He wanted the guilty to be held accountable. He wanted God to bring revival to the nation. Habakkuk needed to see things from a new perspective. You know, um, as we were, I was preparing the sermon, I kept trying to think of uh, little injections of humor to, because it's a pretty heavy duty sermon and I couldn't find anything funny to really say. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> I always have, that's my hardest part in preparing a sermon is to try to find some sort of humor to mix it up a little bit. Um, Yeah, so, okay, we're ready for the next part. If you guys are ready to join in there, I hope you're hanging in there with me. This is good stuff. It's going to get better. We've seen Habakkuk's complaint. We've seen his perspective, but now we're going to look at the prescription. There's hope right here. Here's the hope, the prescription. That's the thing that the doctor fills out for you and says, if you do this and this and this, You'll be okay, right? Well, this is God's perfect prescription to help the nation of Judah and even to help in our lives. Let's read verse five. Okay, this is cool. So Habakkuk has been praying. He's calling out for help for a long time. And finally, God responds. I love this. 
And he says, okay, Habakkuk, look, among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days that you would not believe if you were told. I love this because this is so amazing. It's so cool that God could not even tell Habakkuk what he was doing. He had to show him just a piece, just a picture, a piece of what he was going to do. Look and observe, he says. Watch. I've got something really astonishing, something that will make you wonder. Okay, ready? Here it is. This is God's plan, right? The Lord was going to raise up the Chaldeans to judge Judah, led by a fearsome and cunning general named Nebuchadnezzar, the general of the armies of the Babylonian Empire, one of the greatest armies of the world at this time, and he was soon to become king. He was going to conquer Jerusalem, sack the city, kill many of its inhabitants, and destroy the temple. He was going to use an evil and despised nation to accomplish his work. Now imagine if you were Habakkuk and you just saw that. I can imagine. Cricket, cricket, cricket. God, really? Uh, uh, I'm waiting for the wonderful, I'm waiting for the astonishing. You know, his perspective wasn't the same as ours, is it? He was expecting revival. Or his perspective wasn't the same as God's. God had a different plan. God's prescription was to allow his people to be conquered and taken into captivity. Habakkuk wasn't showing all the glories that would come from this. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, was one of the greatest kings in the ancient world at that time. If you turn to the book of Daniel... One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, one of my favorite books of the Bible, Daniel chapter 4. We're going to be looking at 34 through 37. In case you didn't know, chapter 4 of Daniel was written none other by Nebuchadnezzar. He wrote Daniel chapter 4. I love this. Verses 34 through 37. But at the end of the period of time, you remember Nebuchadnezzar was judged. He had to eat grass and grew gnarly nails and his hair all out and crazy and he lived with the wild beasts. Remember that? And at the end of this period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, look at this last this phrase here, raised my eyes toward heaven. And my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. <laughs> For his dominion is in the everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what hast thou done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and my splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now here. Now I, 
Nebuchadnezzar praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven. For all of his works are true and his ways are just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. I could just see uh, Nebuchadnezzar when he was brought out of his uh, unreasoning mind and his beast-like behavior and the first thing he does when he when he sees and recognizes and honors God, the first thing I can see him doing is like, I got to find Daniel. Where is Daniel? Daniel, get over here. You got to hear what God's done in my life, in my heart. You got to see. Write this down, Daniel. Chapter 4 is written by Nebuchadnezzar. If you've never read that chapter, it's a wonderful story of redemption. Redemption. Habakkuk couldn't see that wonder. He couldn't see the astonishment of Nebuchadnezzar getting saved. We also see another great, beautiful picture, part of God's glory, perhaps, in this, that God raised up a man named Cyrus the Great. And Cyrus the Great is written about at length in the book of Isaiah. Cyrus, as you know, followed up on the Babylonian Empire. He came through from the north in the Nineveh area and he conquered and destroyed, or he didn't destroy, but he conquered Babylon, the city of Babylon, ending the Babylonian Empire. He was prophesied by name 130 years before he ever rose to the throne. Isaiah prophesied by him. Uh, Jeremiah 20, oh, uh, let's see, actually, uh, Uh, he prophesied before him, and Daniel very likely was the person that read to him that prophecy, that Cyrus was going to deliver the people, that God was going to use him to restore the temple, to restore the temple treasures, and to restore the captives to Jerusalem. Isn't it comforting to us to know that even though we don't see all of God's plan, Isn't it a comfort to know that he has a plan? That he is in control. No matter the chaos in our lives, in this world, God is doing something we can't see. It's wonderful. It's astonishing. It's beautiful. God is still on his throne. No matter what happens in November, God is still on his throne. He has a plan, a purpose. Habakkuk couldn't see that. He couldn't see that the nation would come back, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and that they would, their hearts would be rededicated to the Lord, to follow him, to honor him. You see, God's prescriptions are always perfect. God's prescriptions are always perfect. And lastly, we need to see this, that God's prescriptions are also timely. They are timely. They are happening in his perfect time. God's prescriptions are timely. 
this morning, as we uh, see God's mercy and kindness in our lives and in the life of this nation and this people, um, is there anyone here who needs to be reminded of that? God's mercy and kindness in our lives through this chaos, through this struggle. I've been so encouraged to think God's word this morning, this week, last couple of weeks, praying. Um, perhaps maybe we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness as truth. Maybe we've even taken advantage and taken lightly of the riches of his mercy. Maybe we have uh, been mediocre in our walk with him, mediocre in our love for him. We've allowed uh, compromise, distraction to rob us of that joy and intimacy we used to have. Maybe we've been cherishing sin in our lives. Maybe we haven't even been heeding that still, small voice calling to us to act. Maybe we've allowed apathy to come in through all this chaos. God's call right now is for us to repent from our sin and our attitudes. God's prescription for us is discipline if we do not. We read that in Hebrews chapter 12. God's discipline is our prescription. And some of you may this morning maybe be here right now and you perhaps have never confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never trusted in him alone and his work of salvation, then you have a false hope and security and you have no hope. And you might even say to yourself, uh, I have been going to church for many years, my whole life, I've been going to Bible studies. And, um, it has been said that being in a church makes you no more of a Christian than being in a garage makes you a car. Being here this morning is not enough. Just being in these doors doesn't make you saved. There has to be a time in your life when you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you can't remember a time when you made that transaction with God, when you said, God, I believe you, what you did, what you accomplished for me on the cross. I want to trust you as my Lord and my Savior. I confess my sin to you. If you can't remember a time when you actually made that transaction, then my friends, perhaps your hope is in vain. And judgment is at your door. The only reason that God has not acted in our society, in our community, and in your life is because he wills that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. Let's uh, 
come together in prayer. Let's close our hearts and our minds now and just, I, I don't want you, if you have not, ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? It's a simple prayer. If you can't remember, please, I beg of you to, um, to consider giving your heart to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow will be, can be too late. I want you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I, I ask God, you would take this sinner that I am. I know I am a sinner. I confess my sin to you. And I believe that what you did on the cross was sufficient to pay my penalty, my de- your death, to make me clean. It's a free gift of salvation. I accept that gift of salvation. Lord, I want to put my trust in my life into your hands, not in my hands. I know that I, I'm not worthy. I know that I can't measure up. I know that I cannot earn heaven on my own. I need you, Jesus. I believe in your sacrifice. I believe you are the Lord of my life. And I confess you and ask you to come and dwell me with your spirit. Transform me and make me into a new creation. And if you're a Christian here now and you need to confess and repent in your own life, I pray that you would do that as we come in prayer. Lord, we come to you as a broken people. We don't have your perspective. Lord, but what we trust in your word and your word says that you have never, will never leave us or forsake us. That your love for us, how deep the Father's love for us Lord, your love is so great and mighty. It could reach into every nook and cranny, every hurt and pain into our brokenness. Lord, you desire to take that brokenness and use it for your glory. Lord, if we only would turn to you, help us, Lord, to allow you into our lives, to transform us, make us into your image. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen.